0: Let us pray together. Faithful Father in heaven, uh, all that we have comes from you. You have blessed us, Lord, uh, beyond measure, and have provided for all of our needs. Uh, Please receive, Lord, this day uh, the first fruit of our labors, for we bring, Lord, these offerings to you with joy and in obedience to your word. May these offerings, Lord, be used for the glory of your name and the cause of the gospel. And may we be good stewards of all that you have entrusted to us. And as we prepare our hearts, And our minds are, Lord, now to hear the reading and preaching of your word. Our Lord, we pray that you would help us by your spirit to understand this passage from Zechariah and that you would show us how it applies to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our Bible reading tonight is from Zechariah chapter 11. In many ways it is a challenging chapter. Not only because of its content, but because of the chapter 9 and 10 that have a bit more of a hopeful turn to it. uh, Chapter 11 um, uh, brings a message of warning and judgment. So let us look at this uh, passage together. Uh, So Zechariah chapter 11, if you are using the pew Bibles, it's on page 949. Zechariah chapter 11, reading from verse 1. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, for the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forests have been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds, for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions, for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders, and I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union. And I tended the flock. In one month I destroyed the free shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it seems good to you, give me, the, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages thirty pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those who are being destroyed, or seek the young, or heal the maim, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered and his right eye utterly blinded. I went to Kurong the other day, the Christian bookstore. I tend to try to avoid going to Kurong uh, because I found that I often end up spending more than I originally thought I would. But I had to go. I was looking for a card uh, to give to a friend of mine uh, who was going through a time of grief. And when I arrived there, of course, there was a sale. And so after finding my card, I thought to myself, since there is a sale, I might as well have a quick look around. And so I started browsing through the books and eventually I arrived at the section on the church and asked someone who is involved in church ministry are um, often interested uh, to read about what uh, people are thinking and writing about, especially to do with church ministry and Christian leadership and the church. And The Chef was packed with multiple books about the church and about Christian leadership. Uh, It would appear that in recent years there has been a bit of a resurgence of books written on the church and on Christian leadership in, in general. So let's, let me just give you a few examples of books that I found. Anatomy of a Revived Church. What is interesting about this book, it's written by the same author who a few years ago wrote a book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. So here is a writer who wrote a book about a church that died and looked at what are the factors that led to this. And now he's writing a book, uh, a, a bit of a better story of a church that after a long time of revitalization, was able to survive. There were other books, Future Church, Hybrid Church, Simple Church, Mission Shaped Church, Letters to the Church, A Praying Church, Reappearing Church, again, strangely enough, by the same writer who in previous years wrote a book called Disappearing Church. And the one that that you might have read or heard of is this one by Mark Diva called How to Build a Healthy Church. The point is, is that people have been thinking quite a bit about what is the church and what are we looking for? What is a healthy church? So lots of books in recent times have been written about it. And then there were multiple books on Christian leadership, such as Wisdom in Leadership, Faithful Leaders, Leading from the Foundation, The Solo Pastor, the unwavering pastor, the flourishing pastor. Again, the one that you might have heard of is this one. Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church. And in this book, the writer asks this question. I've got this book. I didn't buy. It was given to me. The writer says this in that book. He says, How many failed pastors will there be? And how many broken and hurting churches before we humbly ask questions about how we are leading the church that the Savior has entrusted to our care. You see, people are thinking deeply about these things. What is the church? And what does faithful Christian leadership look like? And how does the two work together? In his book, the writer reveals to us the alarming statistic and stories in the U.S. of pastors... And ministry workers dropping out of gospel ministry for all kinds of different reasons. And this is, I think, part of the reason why in recent times people have been writing so much about those two topics. Because there has been this need, this this renewed interest in understanding what are the marks of a healthy church and what are the principles of godly Christian leadership. And people have been writing about both because there is a correlation between the health of the church and the health of its leadership. So for example, if your pastor doesn't believe in the Bible as being the word of God, then obviously that's going to affect their preaching, that's going to affect how they run church and their Bible studies. So there is a a direct correlation between what the Christian leadership, the principle that's guiding them in church and how this is affecting the health of the church. And as we will find out in Zechariah 11, the issue and the importance of godly leadership within the people of God is not something that is unique to the 21st century, but has been a challenge for the church throughout the ages. In our passage tonight. God sends Zechariah to denounce and confront the four leaders of his generation who have led the people of God into idolatry and false religion. But as we will find out, the flock, the people of God, has not been spared. So our first point uh, tonight, I hope you got your Bibles there with you. It is a bit of a complex uh, Passage. I hope you keep your Bibles open, as I refer to some of those verses. Uh, the first point tonight. Uh, the Lord will judge the un- ungodly leaders of his people. And as we uh, we're thinking about this, I'd like you to, to keep at the back of your mind the idea that God loves his people, that Christ loves his bride, the church. And, and so, God, Christ, will keep the leaders of his people accountable. He will do it. And he does it out of love. So, verses 1 to 3, this little song there, this uh, song of lament, uh, the Lord will judge the ungodly leaders of his people. Zechariah hears the sound of wailing. So, our passage begins with a prophecy. It's a song of lament, it's describing God's judgment upon the false shepherds of his people. Zechariah calls them to wail. Because of what he sees coming. A wailing is a cry of lamentation, a cry of sorrow and, and grief. And Zechariah says to them, wail, because look at what's, what's coming. Zechariah receives a message where he sees the doors of Lebanon open and fire consuming its trees. He sees like this huge bush fire. Zechariah sees the cedars and cypress trees of Lebanon falling, burnt by a ravaging fire. Lebanon was known for its cedars which Solomon used in the construction of the temple the famous cedars of Lebanon are in flames that's the picture that Zechariah sees it's a picture of judgment upon the foreign leaders who have led God's people astray so that's how Zechariah 11 starts this message of judgment upon the ungodly leaders of God's people and we learn this uh, about this already in Zechariah chapter 10 where God looked at his people in Zechariah chapter 10 And verse 2 and God saw that his people were afflicted they were like sheep without a shepherd we spoke about this a few weeks ago they've instead of turning to God they've turned to false idols and diviners uh, to seek answers for their prayers rather than to God in Zechariah chapter 10 God saw his people under the ungodly leadership of foreign nations Who are leading them astray, leading them away from God and into idolatry and the false gods, the pagan gods. And now in verses 1 to 3, God is keeping them accountable for their actions. He's keeping those leaders accountable. And in verse 2 of our passage, Zechariah sees the thick forest of Bashan. That's the modern day Syria, And again, the beautiful and majestic oak trees. Are burnt And they're lying on the ground. You can read this in the first three verses. The cedars of Lebanon and the oak of Bashan. They were the national symbols of power and strength of those nations and those regions. They symbolize their pride. And so the imagery there of those trees on fire. It's an image of their pride are being brought low. It's a picture of God humbling them because they have led God's people astray. In verse 3, Zechariah hears the false shepherd wailing under the judgment of God. It's not an easy picture to see or to hear. They are being judged for leading God's people into idolatry. And if you put all of this together, it's quite a distressing picture. And Jesus gave a similar warning to the people of his day when he said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... Jesus, saying to his disciples, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drawn in the depth of the sea. Jesus has such a strong and protective love towards his people that he gives such a warning. Now in Zechariah chapter 11, it's a whole nation being led astray. The leader. So you, you can see the emphasis of this warning. It's a very strong warning and it's addressed to anyone who would harm or hinder or cause God's people to stumble in their faith. This is the situation here in Zechariah chapter 11. God speaks to Zechariah and tells him that his wrath will fall on the false shepherd of his people. And there is a bit of a debate. There's a bit of a debate about who those leaders are. Are they secular leaders? Are they religious leaders? Are they foreign leaders? Are they referring to the leaders of the Persian? Are they the leaders of the Jews? But some of them have compromised their faith or now following after other gods. It's hard to know. It's probably very likely a mixture of all of this. The point is this. The Lord will judge the leaders of his people for harming and mistreating and not caring for his flock. The Lord will punish them. Because instead of caring and protecting and guiding and feeding God's people, God's flock, they neglected them. Worse, they took advantage of them. So if you've got your Bibles open, their actions are described for us in verse 5. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, bless the Lord. I have become rich and their own shepherds have no pity on them. God sees a situation where the leaders and the shepherds of his people are taking advantage of his sheep. They are being treated like commodities. They're being bought and sold, the leaders. And, and somehow through all of this, they're making money out of this. Uh, they're benefiting from this financially. And out of a false sense of piety and religious hypocrisy, they are thanking God for it. You can imagine um, our pastors getting, getting rich on the back of the church, and then thanking the Lord for it. Now, I won't pinpoint particular denominations or churches that do that, but I'm sure you you have some ideas in your mind. But here they were. Bless the Lord, we have become rich. Some of them would say. And God sees this, and God says to them, uh, "This is a situation where the leaders of His people have have no pity, no compassion." no sense of guilt no shame for abusing the people of God verse 5 says they have no pity on them we read about idolatry and and divination in Zechariah chapter 10 and 9 chapter 11 we discover that things were way worse than we thought the sheep were indeed without a shepherd they were at the hands of wolves in fact in verse 3, they describes as lions. And what a sorry state of affairs this is, isn't it? And you can imagine why today, as you if you go to you what to go to Quran, you go to any Christian library, you go to the section church and Christian leadership, there are so many books being written about this. What does it look like? What does a godly Christian leader look like? What are we looking for in terms of character and gifted and giftedness? how do we test them? Do you see how important this is? Here is a whole chapter where the leaders of God's people have gone astray completely, taking advantage of God's people. So, what is the application here? Well, it's a warning. It's a warning to all those who have been entrusted with the care of God's flock. This passage is a sharp warning to all those who, one way or another, or involved in the ministry of the gospel. Firstly, but not exclusively, it applies to those who under God and under Christ have been called to shepherd and lead God's people. So in 1 Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter speaking to the elders of the church says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder... And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, shepherd the flock of God. So, when we're thinking about this now, when thinking, well, who are those leaders today? We're well, thinking about the elders. They are shepherds of God's flock. So, Peter says to them, under Christ, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not like the shepherds of Zechariah chapter 11. But eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The elders of the church, the elders of our church, have been given a great responsibility under God to care for God's people. They are to be shepherds of God's flock. This means taking care of the spiritual health and the spiritual well-being of God's people. And you can see in through Zechariah that the damage caused, I'm going to look at that in the following verses. So how important, isn't it, godly leadership within the church? So this is why people today are writing so much about this. And there's so many books about this. Now, the, the elders of our church, they're not perfect. and They have their own weaknesses. But in the strength that God gives to them, they are to serve faithfully. They have been entrusted with God's flock. But during Zechariah's time, the opposite was true. The four shepherds of Zechariah's time did not shepherd God's flock. They did not guide them. They did not feed them. They did not protect them, but exploited them. And so there is a warning here to all those who are involved in the shepherding ministry of the church. Are we under God faithfully shepherding the people of God? God loves his people. He has a jealous love for his people. He cares about the spiritual health of his people, and he wants those who Would lead his people astray. He warns them. He instructs the elders of the church to be shepherds. In the scriptures, uh, to be shepherds of God primarily means teaching God's people God's word. This means teaching them how to live in light of God's revelation of himself. So when Duane preached this passage last week from 2 Timothy chapter 4, what does Paul, the senior pastor, says to Timothy, his protege, preach the word? There's gonna be false teaching out there, they're gonna be false. Priorities are there. Preach the word. So this is uh, this, and not only preaching the word but teaching that, teaching God's people how to live in light of God's word. This means caring for God's people, protecting them, praying for them, loving them. We've heard this sermon this morning about love, counseling people, correcting, encouraging the people of God in the things of God. This is what it means to shepherd God's people. James, the brother of Jesus, says this in James chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers. Again, it's a warning. The reason comes in the rest in the remaining verse. My brothers says James, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, this passage applies to me first, right? I'm standing here and I'm opening up God's word. There's a warning again that those who teach God's word will be judged with greater strictness. The Lord cares for His sheep. And he will keep his shepherds accountable. We can think about the high standards set in the Bible for those who desire to be elders in the church. An elder must be above reproach, able to teach, faithful to his wife, self-control, hospitable, not a lover of money, not quarrelsome. He is to care for God's church. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter 3. In Titus chapter 1, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and not lead God's people astray like the shepherds in Zechariah chapter 11. Not everyone should become teachers, says James, because God will keep them accountable and judge them with greater strictness. And again, as we're looking at Zechariah, even those three verses of Zechariah chapter 11, we have to keep at the back of our mind that God loves his people, that Christ loves his bride. And he will keep the shepherd of his people accountable. Zechariah chapter 11 tells us that the Lord will not allow the false shepherds of his people to go unpunished. The Lord will not tolerate the perverse and abusing ministry of these false shepherds to continue. And he says to Zechariah, and he says to going to warn them. And this warning extends to us as well. It extends to our church leadership, it extends to our elders, it extends to our church members as those who are called to sign the calling of their pastors. The papers are right there at the back of our church. How important, isn't it? What an important step we're making as a congregation, as we're signing or not signing those papers. So this applies, yes, primarily to those entrusted with the office of shepherding God's people, but by extension To every one of us, who in one way or another are serving in one one ministry or another. And all of us, as the church, we are the body of Christ. So together, we are shepherding each other. We are caring for each other. We are serving each other. We are ministering to each other. We are praying for each other, encouraging each other, taking care and loving each other. So in one sense, we are accountable to each other. Zechariah is a warning, but it's also an exhortation to serve God's people with care. This is God's fault. This is Christ's bride. So would we serve and love each other with with love and gentleness, with spiritual integrity, with faithfulness to God's word? So Zechariah is a warning, but it's also an incentive for us not to be like the the false leaders and the false shepherd described in this passage. So do you see why there is so many books written about the church and the relationship that exists between the church and Christian leadership. As one person puts it, a congregation rarely grows beyond its church leadership. There's a direct correlation between the two. And if Chris was there, he would he could talk to you for ages about this because I know that he's read extensively about this and in his... Um, Not conferences, workshops. He talks about this. How important godly Christian leadership. So Zechariah chapter 11 uh, begins with this warning, but also this incentive. He's trying to raise our awareness as it were. And I think the reason why this is done is because of all the promises. I shouldn't be saying this now because I say it later in my sermon. Doesn't matter, you hear it twice. But the reason why at this point uh, Zechariah brings it up is because of all the promises of chapter 9 and 10 a future shepherd is on his way and the danger is, is to reject him and to, to not be able to recognize him not being able to recognize what godly Christian leadership looks like so in a sense Zechariah is worried so the warning comes so that was our first point the Lord will keep accountable those who lead his people number two the Lord will replace. So he keep the false shepherd accountable, but then he will replace those false shepherds. So Zechariah is sent to shepherd God's flock. That's what we find in verses 4 to 14. He's given two staff. One is called favor, the other one is called union. And God says to Zechariah, you go, you go and you shepherd my people. So as troubling as verses 1 and 3 are, as what we will find in the remaining verses, in verses 4 to 14, is that the situation described there in those verses is even more tragic. So in verse 4, God sends Zechariah to shepherd his afflicted flock. The flock is hurt already, so God sends to them Zechariah. But as we read in verse 4, Zechariah is sent to shepherd the flock doomed to slaughter. It's repeated twice in our passage. In other words, under the ungodly leadership of the false shepherds, the flock, spiritually speaking, has been decimated. Doomed to slaughter. Spiritually dead. Left in disarray. Please look with me at verse 4. Thus says the Lord my God. Become the shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. The ministry, the kind of ministry that Zechariah is to have among them is not going to be a rescuing ministry. Look at what God says in, Zechariah, in Ze- to Zechariah in verse 6. For I will no longer, God himself, will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hands of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand. The kind of ministry that Zechariah is going to have among them is not going to be one of national revival. Instead, the people themselves are going to face God's judgment. A flock, doomed to slaughter. The implication being that the majority of the people living in the land were no better than the four shepherds themselves. And again, you see the connection, isn't it, between those who are writing about what does a healthy church look like? And those who are writing about church leadership, they see the obvious connection. They see that if one fails, Chances are, here, the church is going to crumble down. And this is what's happened in this, in this chapter. Under the false leadership of the shepherds, now what we have? We have a flock doomed to be slaughtered, spiritually dead, spiritually decimated. So instead of remaining faithful to God, they have endorsed and embraced the idolatry, the false teaching, the false ministry of the ungodly shepherd, and so God calls them the flock doomed to slaughter because they were spiritually dead and far from God, the sheep have become like the false shepherd. Not that their sins are too terrible to be forgiven or atoned for, but that God has chosen to withdraw His patience and grace towards them. Let me repeat this. Not that their sins are, were too terrible to be forgiven or atone for, but that God has chosen to withdraw his patience and grace towards them. The lesson is this, that we cannot and should not take the Lord's patience, mercy and grace towards us, for granted, grace by definition is undeserved favour. God doesn't owe us grace. God is not obligated to extend his favour and grace towards us. God's grace to his people is a gift, not a due it's not something we can claim. not something we can go to God and say, You owe me grace. God is free to show mercy to whom He will show mercy. And God is free to withhold His compassion and grace on whom He chooses not to extend His compassion and grace. This is like Romans chapter 9, but in Zechariah chapter 11. And in this case, in the light of the sin and disobedience of His people, the Lord sends Zechariah... To them to be a shepherd of a flock doomed to slaughter. A flock destined to fall under the judgment hand of God. And it wasn't a particular, particularly easy or enjoyable ministry for Zechariah as we read in verse 8. Who, who wants to be the pastor of a congregation destined to slaughter? So look at verse 8 with me. In one month Zechariah says I destroyed the free shepherds but I became impatient with them and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Now, again, we don't know whether this was a kind of acted parable from Zechariah that Zechariah performed before the people to warn them. It is not clear whether Zechariah is speaking about a time in the past or a time in the present or something that would happen in the future or a bit of an overlap between all of this. Uh, But the, the point is clear, isn't it? During Zechariah's ministry... The shepherd sent by God, he comes in, he's convicted under God that he needs to remove free false shepherds. But when he does that, the congregation is not happy. His ministry is not welcomed. He is hated for it. Church discipline is not always welcomed in the church. The Zechariah himself felt drained and, and tired from all of this and became impatient and resigned from ministering to them. He says to them in verse 9, I will not be your shepherd. In my own ministry, how many times have I heard of stories of young ministers being appointed to congregations that have been under that have not been under faithful gospel ministry for years? And when they get there, it's hard. And people are asked to step down. And people get angry, and people leave. And ministers are worn worn out and they're weary. And so they leave and they find another congregation. And of course, as they rejected the ministry of Zechariah, in effect, they were rejecting God's prophet. And if they reject God's prophet, they were rejecting God himself. And this is explained in the symbolism of the two staff that are broken. First, in verse 10, the the staff called favor is broken. Zechariah breaks it. Imagine this. It's like your, your minister comes to church and he's so upset. He tears the Bible apart and he leaves. And he says, you don't want God's word. He, he tears it in two and he leaves. And then the next thing he does, he, he, he throws the pulpit down. This is what's happening here in this story. Zechariah has those two stuff. One symbolizing favor. The other one symbolizing union. But he breaks them. After all the promises of God in Zechariah 9 and 10, it is hard to read what we find in Zechariah chapter 11. But this is something that we need to take to heart as well. The impact. This is what verse 14, 4 to 14 is telling. The impact of false teachings and false shepherding, the impact that they can have on the people of God, can be completely disastrous. And this is what we find in Zechariah chapter 11. They were like a congregation destined to be uprooted. They were like a congregation whose lampstand was about to be removed by the Lord himself to take a picture from the book of Revelation. Isn't in the book of Revelation those letters are sent? and There is this warning that their lampstand might be removed. And in my own experience of church ministry, I have heard and seen this happening. I have seen firsthand a devastating ministry of Christian leaders that would not teach God's word. I have seen firsthand what happens to the flock when the sheep are spiritually neglected and starved and not cared for. I have seen firsthand a congregation doomed to be slaughtered. I know what it looks like. A church with no gospel and therefore a people with no hope. Lost and blind and yet all the while thinking... That they are saved. It's like this congregation in Sardis in Revelation chapter 3. They have a reputation of being alive, and Jesus looks at that and says, No, you're actually dead. Think about this. You're a congregation, you think you're alive, you have a reputation of being alive. People think you're alive, and Jesus looks at you and says, You're dead. The Apostle Paul had a similar concern during his ministry when he warned the early church of the danger of false teaching and false prophets. Do you see the impact of, of the force, the ministry of the four shepherds? Zechariah chapter 11. It, it's disastrous. And then look what happens in verse 12. Zechariah asked them for his wages. And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. For his ministry among them, the prophet of God, they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Which is the price of a dead slave. Not a, a slave that's alive. A dead slave. The price for a corpse. That's what they pay him. That's how much Zechariah ministry was worth to them. The price of a dead slave. And God says to Zechariah in verse 13. And it's an interesting verse. God says to Zechariah in verse 13. Throw it to the potter. The lordly price. Which I was prized by them. Did you notice what God said there in verse 13? <clears throat> Throw the thirty pieces of silver to the house of the potter. This is the price at which I... Yahweh was prized by them. He doesn't say this is the lonely price that they paid you, Zechariah. God says this as him. This is how they valued his ministry. God says to Zechariah, this is not how much they valued your ministry. This is how much they valued God's ministry among them. This is how much they value me. When Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was sold for 30 pieces of silver as well. So when God the Son took on flesh and dwell on earth to save his people, he was rejected and sold for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a dead slave. When Jesus approached Jerusalem, he lamented over the city of Jerusalem. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are, who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? But... You are not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The tragedy is this. The people of Jesus' time had not learned the lessons taught in Zechariah chapter 11. It is an awful thing to reject the prophet of God. It is a dangerous thing to reject the shepherd sent by God. And by the same token, reject God. In Zechariah 11, the flock led astray by the false leaders rejected Zechariah, the shepherd sent by God. And the same thing happened when Jesus came. They rejected him. So, one of the reasons why I think it's not clear whether Zechariah is speaking about the past, the present, or the future is that he's not concerned about telling us when this happens. He's focused in showing to us the dangerous consequences of rejecting God. His concern is pointing to us how how dangerous it is in allowing false teaching and false shepherds into the church. Zechariah wants to warn the people of his time and us of the danger of allowing wolves and lions into the pasture of God's people. Zechariah is warning us about a situation where wolves had completely devoured the flock. They have become hard-hearted they do not know God and do not value God. And finally, God raises a foolish shepherd. The Lord gives them over to the desires of their sinful hearts. Verses fifteen to six to seven fifteen to seventeen. And it's a short point. I close with this. Um And this is what's happening in verses 15 to 17. If the people of God would not listen to the shepherds sent by God, God would give them over to the desires of their hearts and raise for them a foolish shepherd. This is what is happening at the end of our chapter. In verses 15 to 17, God asked Zechariah to take the equipment, this time not of a good shepherd, but of a foolish shepherd. You can read about this in verse 15. Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. They rejected the, the divine ministry, the godly ministry. Now you go and you pick up the equipment of a foolish shepherd. God asked the to take the equipment of this foolish shepherd because he is about to raise for the people of the land a foolish shepherd. The ministry of this foolish shepherd is described in verse 16 for behold I am raising in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed. Or seek the young, or heal the maim, or nourish the healthy, but devise the flesh of the fat ones. The writer of the Hebrews says this. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is what God is doing in Zechariah chapter 11. You would not receive the ministry of the good shepherd. Well, I give you the desires of your, of, of your own hearts. So God gives them away. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a fearful and terrible thing when God, the giver of salvation, chooses to give to us what we want, rather than what we need. It is an awful thing when God gives gives us away to the desires of our sinful nature. We can read about this in Romans chapter 1, where Paul describes those who have rejected God and opposed God and did not acknowledge God and suppress the truth about God and what does Paul says in this chapter? Paul says, well, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts. God said to them, is it ungodliness that you want? They said, yes. Is it unrighteousness that you want? Well, God said, you can have it. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And this is exactly what is happening at the end of Zechariah chapter 11. The people prefer the ministry of the ungodly shepherds and so God is going to raise for them what they want and not what they need. Zechariah chapter 11 is a humbling chapter. It's a chapter full of warnings. But as it ends, we see that this foolish shepherd will not rule forever. Even the foolish shepherd is going to be struck. Woe to my worthless shepherd in verse 17 who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. And even in this, there is a glimmer of hope. Because the Lord has promised to his people in chapter 9 and 10 that he has a better plan for them. He has promised to personally shepherd his people. We've read this, we've spoken about this already in chapter 9 and 10. The Lord has seen his flock wandering as sheep without a shepherd and he has Promised to them to send to them a king that would shepherd his people, a humble king and a good shepherd. Chapter 11 is this warning Beware of the false shepherds, follow the true shepherd, be able to discern. So, the, the, all these promises uh, that we find in Zechariah, the, the, the allusions and prophecies and hints and information and clues about this future shepherd that is to come, and all these promises. Found their fulfilment, or found their fulfilment, when Jesus, the righteous King of God, entered the world two thousand years ago. These promises were fulfilled when Jesus, the good Shepherd of God's flock, gave his life for his sheep. These promises of Zechariah in chapter nine and ten found their fulfilment when Jesus would come, the, the true Shepherd, and lay down his life for his people, for his flock. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this shepherd? Or are you following after the false shepherd of this world? Do you know who Christ is? Well, may the Lord help us so that by His grace we might recognize the good shepherd sent by God and come under His ministry. May the Lord continue to bless us as a congregation with elders and gospel workers and Bible study leaders and connect group leaders and Sunday school leaders and youth group leaders. And Church members that are spiritually discerning and eager to contend and defend the Gospel and the Word of God. May the Lord protect us from the deceptive work of the false teachers of our time. May the Lord keep us from, the false, from false doctrines. May the Lord show His compassion over us by judging the false prophets of our worlds. And may we be thankful to God each day for Jesus our Good Shepherd. May he be our strength. May he be our hope. May he be our joy in life. May we follow him. May he be the one we turn to at all times. And until he returns, or we die and meet him in glory, may we live by faith and for his glory. Amen. Let me pray for us. Gracious and loving Father in heaven, we thank you for Zechariah chapter 11, which is a very uh, humbling passage that speaks to us of, your, of your, this warning against the false shepherds of your people, but also tells us, Lord, of this sad story of this flock doomed uh, to be slaughtered. And Father, we thank you for the grace and the hope that you've extended to us in the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus, the good shepherd. We thank you, Lord, that while we were still sinners, he came to die for us, for the forgiveness of our sins, for the salvation of our souls. Father, we thank you for all that Jesus, our true shepherd, has accomplished for us. Our Lord, we pray that you would bring conviction into our hearts tonight, that you would draw us to his cross in thankfulness and in obedience to him. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.